joy to be with you again. I feel feel like you're kind of a second home to me, which is so it's wonderful to be with you and I'm thankful that the Lord has given us, me and our church the privilege of uh, walking alongside all of you. As we begin tonight, I want to do maybe something a little bit different. Uh, it's even something different than I usually do, but I have us to turn to two different places in the scripture. So first, if you would, let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. In your pew Bible, that's 992. And then after that, I'm going to read from there, then we're going to go to the actual text that I'm going to be preaching from, which will be Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7, and that's found on 914 in the pew Bible. But the reason why I want to do that is because as I've prayed through what I would like to encourage you as a church, as you consider these men who've been nominated, and, and finally as you elect them, as I've prayed through how I wanted to encourage you from the scriptures, Acts chapter 6 verses 1 to 7 has continued to come back to me. And I think it's done so because I really have the desire for you to see Christ in the midst of your church. Ted mentioned that just a little bit ago. And, and I know that you do. And I think Acts chapter 6, 1 to 7 uh, as we think about elders and deacons in this process, really helps us do that. So it's not that the qualifications for elders and deacons aren't important. Indeed, they are. And so I want to read that passage of Scripture to have that in the back of your mind as we come back to Acts chapter 6. So I just kind of wanted to tell you why I was doing what we're doing. So first, it's 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 uh, all the way down to 13. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves. And also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now if you would turn back with me to Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, 
Brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Would you pray with me, please? Our Father in heaven, would you bless to our understanding the reading and the preaching of your word, and in my weakness, may your strength be made manifest. Would you exalt the name of your son Jesus before us tonight? May we see him high and lifted up. And may we put our trust in him and him alone, for he is our only king. He is indeed king and head of the church. He is our high priest. So Lord, would you exalt his name in our midst, even as we think about his ministry as it's reflected in our midst, in the midst of the church. Teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The Westminster Confession, it summarizes the Bible's teaching in regard to the offices of Christ in this way. And it says that Christ executes the office of a prophet in, in revealing to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. It goes on to say the office of a priest. And his once offering up of himself a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and to reconcile us to God and in making continual intercession for us. And then, as king, the office of a king, in subduing us to himself, in ruling, in defending us, in, in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. Well, it is, it's my prayer as I pray for you here at Redeemer. I know it's Ted's prayer. I know it's, I know it's y'all's prayer. That here at Redeemer, more than anything else, that in fact the Redeemer is put on display. That the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is put in, on display in everything that you do. That when people hear the word of God preached, they see that it, it finds its end in the Lord Jesus Christ. When people meet you, they, they meet a people who, who love the Lord Jesus who, who, who love one another, who are willing even to, to die to themselves in order to serve one another, who are willing by the strength and the grace of Christ indeed to do that, not only for those within the life of the church, but also as you love and you serve your community. When people meet you, they, they recognize the spirit of Christ within you. Oh, that the name of Christ, the, the Redeemer, would be exalted in your midst. And that people, when they come to this church, more than anything else, they meet Jesus here. I, I know that's your prayer. And it's my prayer for you. And so as you go about doing that, Ted prayed just a little bit ago that about living our lives in such a way to bring glory to God and that, that God does what He does for His glory and, and for the good of His people. So as we, as we go about our lives doing that, as we go about worship, as we go about church life doing just that, that 
Christ might be manifest in our midst. The, the revelation of the glory of God. So, as y'all have started this process, as men have been nominated, and, then, and, and they're being trained, and then you move to that next step as these men are elected as elders and deacons, those who carry out the visible ministry of Christ in the midst of the visible church, it's important then to know, right, what, what that ministry of Christ is. What is it to look like within the midst of the church? And this, this it don't, don't mistake this for a sermon that is just for those men who are nominated. This is a sermon for you because you are the ones who will elect these men to the offices of elder and deacon. You're, you're the ones that, that choose them. So, it's important to know the ministry of Christ if our officers of the church are to represent that ministry without midst. So how do they do that? Well, I want us to look then at those three things that we talked about, uh, about Christ, his prophet, as prophet, priest, and king. But I want to do that as it's broken down both into, into just two simple things. Because Christ indeed is our king, right? But he's also, the Bible says, he's our servant king. So I want to look at his, his ruling office and then his, or his ruling ministry and his serving ministry. So first, his ruling ministry. In the text that we read just a few moments ago, we, we read that there was a difficulty within the life of the church. There's a certain group of people who were being neglected in the daily distribution of, of food. There's been an oversight in the church. There's been a failure there in her ministry. And, and let's not be afraid to admit that. That there are things within the life of the church that we fail at doing here in Acts. This was a failure. And, and it's recognized. And it's important to note that the apostles saw this as part of that ministry of the church. It needed to be addressed. It's an important aspect. But, but it wasn't the call of the apostles. So, so bear with me. Look, look at uh, verse 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This, this was the call particularly to the apostles. There are different calls. There are different roles within the life of the church. And the apostles' call was to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And this, this right here gives rise to the role and call of the elders as that continuing office within the life of the continuing church. In other words, the church today. It's the role of the elder to pray. It's the role of the elder to engage in the ministry of the word of God. So what does that entail? As you think about this process with these elders, what kind of role will you be electing these men to? What kind of men are you looking for? It's important that both for elders and deacons, these are things that these men ought to already be doing. We do not elect men in hopes that they become the elder that they're called to be. We elect men who are already exhibiting those qualities that God has set aside or set apart as those qualities and qualifications for elder and deacon. It's almost like when we get married. We don't marry the person that we hope our wife or our husband is someday. It's a recipe for disaster. We marry the person that we love and we commit to love that person till the day that we die. Same thing with elders and with deacons. It's, it's, it, their role is to pray and to engage in ministry of the Word. So the role of prayer is pretty straightforward, right? He's to intercede 
on behalf of the people of God. He is to act as, uh, in a sense, priest. But he does so, as Ted also said earlier, he does so under the high priesthood of Christ. The elder is not a priest in the sense that there's anyone who is needed to mediate other than Christ. We, as believers, all of us are all priests, a holy priesthood, as the author of Hebrews teaches us. But the elders of the church are to reflect that role of Christ within the life of the church. The elders are to pray for the people under his care. So, brothers and sisters, if if we're to elect men, they ought to already be praying for the church. If there's not a love for the people of God already being exhibited in the life of this man, they're not qualified. They ought already to have a love for the people of God. And and isn't this what Jesus does as our great high priest? He continually intercedes for us. Uh, It's amazing how God does this. We read this just a little bit ago in the the prayer part of of the order of worship. So that Jesus, uh, from, from Hebrews, consequently he's able to say to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is living now. Making intercession for you. And I can't help but to read this text. And I know that I know that what, what, what we're being taught here is that he is that he was dead and now he's alive again and he is living now, interceding on our behalf. But as you read this in in, in, um, in Hebrews, it's it's almost like Jesus lives to make intercession for you. In other words, this is this is why he's living. He desires to make intercession for you. With God the Father. Isn't that a wonderful thought? That this is what Jesus is doing for you. That's the love of our great high priest. Interceding. Continually interceding on your behalf. And the elders should reflect that. Within the life of the church. So Jesus executes that office within our midst. That priestly office. And the elder is to reflect that. Prophet, priest, and king. As we said, just a little bit of the ministry of the word meant so prayer yes ministry of the word mentioned here in Acts 7 well what does a prophet do right we talked about priest now prophet a prophet reveals to us the will of God for our salvation how does he do that through the word of God how has Jesus done that through the word through the word of God done even that, that he is that perfect word he's revealed to us perfectly the will of God for our salvation. Remember when they came to Jesus and they said, what must we do? What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus didn't give them something to do, did He? He gave them something else. He said, believe. Believe in the one whom He has sent. He has revealed to us what we must do for salvation. So we've seen the priestly office. We've seen the prophetic office. What about the kingly office? Well, Jesus executes his kingship by subduing us to himself, by ruling and and reigning over us, defending us, conquering his and our enemies. He has done this. He he does this. And the elder, too, is to reflect this office or this ministry within the life of the church. This is part of the ministry of the word. Because where does his authority come from? It's not an authority that he has on his own. It's an authority that comes only from Christ. It's It's a delegated authority. He is a under-shepherd of our great shepherd. That's it. 
Any authority that he has has been delegated to him by Jesus himself. First uh, Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. The elders are called to exercise rule within the life of the church, reflecting that rule of Christ. And, and I want us to think about this. So often we think about rule in a negative way because we define it the way that our culture defines it. Anytime we think of rule, we think of this type of rule where somebody's got their thumb on you. But think about Christ. Think about how Jesus has ruled. Think about what a gracious king we have. Do we not have a king who's, who's actually given himself for us? Do we not have a king that, in, that, that invites the little children to come unto him? The, the one who rules, does he not also gently shepherd us with great compassion? Does he not comfort those under his care? And the elder is to reflect that within the life of the church. I think sometimes we, we, we think, well, the elders to do this and the deacons to do this. And, and there are different roles, don't get me wrong. But I think sometimes we, we have this idea that the elders can somehow get out, get out of this compassion role. Well, because after all, the deacons are called to be compassionate and merciful. So I can just rule like this. No, that's not what God calls us to be. It's not what he calls the elder to be. He calls us to rule with great compassion. Uh, Chris Hutchinson, you wouldn't know his name, but he presented a seminar at our denomination, General Assembly, and it's been... Uh, goodness, several years ago now, but, but he presented this paper, and in the paper he said this, he said uh, about elders, they are called to teach and preach the gospel, the gospel of grace, and to assure and seal to all true believers the eternal favor of God. They're to comfort the weak, discipline the unrepentant, decide controversies within the life of the church. They're given real authority to represent Christ in all his manifold grace. To the church. Well, I don't know about you, but when I read that or when, when you hear that, I think that's quite a call, isn't it? That's quite a heavy call. What kind of man is this? It's a man who first and foremost loves the Lord Jesus. He loves the Word of God. He is a man who loves the people of God, who desires the people of God to love Jesus more. That's the type of man this is. A man who desires you to see Jesus. On, our, and, and, and on, on the pulpit at home from where I preach, there's a little sign up in the corner and it just says simply, Sirs, that we may see Jesus. And it's a, it's a reminder to me every time that I step in the pulpit that my only job is for the people who sit into my preaching so that they might see Jesus. That's part of the elders' role so that you might see Jesus. Not himself. Not to build himself up. But so that you might see Jesus high and lifted up. That you might see him exalted. Because brothers and sisters, your hope is not in the elders of the church or in the deacons of the church. Your hope is only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, they're to reflect his ministry in the life of the church. But Jesus is our only hope. And if we say anything different as elders, we are unfaithful to our God. What you need, what I need, what Ted needs, what elders need, what deacons need, is the Lord Jesus. It's a man who's willing to lead by and, and, and do so by denying himself and holding fast to the word of Christ. 
Again, this type of ruling is not the world's way of ruling. And, and it's interesting, too. Th this power that Christ has given to His church, it actually rests in the whole body. This is, this is why this is such an important process. The, the power of Christ isn't just given to the elders or the deacons of the church, but it's given to the whole body, given to the body as a whole. The book of church order says it this way. It says, this power as exercised by the people extends to the choice of those officers whom he has appointed in his church. Hear that again. This power as exercised by the people. This is your power, or this is Christ's power granted it's to you, this, this process in which you are engaged in is such an important part of the life of the church. I know it sometimes seems wooden. I know sometimes it seems like it's just, it's got all these rules and regulations and all of that. But it's, it's meant for a protection for the people of God and honor for the name of Christ. It's, it's an important process. The power, Christ has given gifts to his church. And that power is vested in the whole body. And you exercise it in your choice of those whom he's appointed. And that's interesting too, isn't it? There's this, there's this, uh, this working hand in hand between uh, your responsibility and God's sovereignty. You choose, you elect, these men are ordained and they represent you at the higher courts of the church. But they represent the role of Christ in your midst. And they are chosen, and, and, and God orchestrates and oversees and calls those men to that office. And these men don't necessarily represent your desires. They represent Christ. There will be times when you may disagree with the officers of the church. But they, they're not called to represent simply your desires. They're called to represent Christ and to be faithful to His Word. That they are indeed Christ's gift to you. Given to you to rule within the life of the church. And will they err? There's only one who's perfect, right? And it's the Lord Jesus. Only one without fault. There's only one King and Head of His church. He never fails. He never errs. He never deals wrongly with His sheep. And... and and you can trust him. And you say, but I can't trust men. I can't trust men. They're just men. You're right. They're just men. You may struggle with trusting men. But do you trust Christ? Because it'll be these men that Christ has given to you. You will be trusting Christ by trusting these men. That's, that's hard, I know, right? But do we trust the Word of God? Do we trust Christ in that? He, he's the chosen one who brings forth justice. He's the king who does not break the bruised reed, who, who, who does not quench the faintly burning wick. He's the one who, who establishes that justice. We can, in fact, trust the Lord Jesus. We can trust Him. And this is the king that is the king and head of His church. The one to whom the elders can only direct you and should be directing you. The one, the one that the, the elders can only reflect with a pale and dim light. But the men you elect should have, should have that desire 
in your midst. They, they should want to reflect the wonder and the glory of Christ. To represent and reflect the beauty of the Lord Jesus as prophet, priest, and his king. The, the elder in that ruling role. And then what about that serving ministry? Well, in the Acts passage, I mentioned it at the very beginning. that There's been an oversight and had given, and, and had given rise to the choosing of seven godly men. Seven men full of the Spirit. And to them was given to them to address this particular need. This need within their midst. And it was, in fact, a, a physical need. And the widows of the Greek-speaking Jews had been overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And it wasn't that this wasn't seen as a need. In fact, it was. This was an important aspect of the life of the church. That's why it's here. And this is what gives rise to the whole episode. Is that there were those within the life of the church who had been, who had been missed. A, a need had been missed. This is important within the life of the church. The apostles understand that the meaning of this need was important. There was a compassion for these widows and a desire that this would be done and be done faithfully. But the apostles didn't want to fail in their duty when they took upon another. And that's very important to, for them to have done so. Would have, they would have been unfaithful in their own call. But to ignore this would have been unfaithful to the mercy and compassion of Christ in their midst. You see, Christ has a kingly ministry, a ruling ministry, but there's also that serving ministry, that ministry of compassion within the life of the church. Christ is king, yes, but he is, in fact, again, that, that servant king. The apostles appoint these, these godly men full of the spirit and of wisdom, as verse 3 says, to this duty. And, and do notice, please, that... That the office of deacon is not somehow this lesser qualified office. This has to do with a difference in role, not necessarily in a difference of qualification. As we read through those qualifications, there was one difference between the two. For the elder, he's apt to, uh, apt to teach. That, that an elder is one who is, is always teaching, wants to teach, is found teaching when he has the opportunity. That's the only difference between these two offices. They're both spiritual offices, spiritual qualifications, godly men full of the Spirit. So don't think that this office of deacon is somehow down on this and you, you're a deacon first and then you become an elder and then maybe if you're lucky you become a pastor. Not at all. Not at all. They're both spiritual offices within the life of the church and they both reflect the ministry of Christ. And they're both beautiful. They're both beautiful. Christ, He is the prophet. He, he executes the office of prophet. But not only does He reveal to us His Father's will, but think about what Christ has done. He perfectly obeys His Father in our stead. Romans 5.19 says, For by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Christ, Christ also indeed is our priest, and then He intercedes on our behalf. But... He does so because He was the very perfect sacrifice for our sin. What did He do for us? He gave Himself for us. He humbled Himself and became obedient. Even obedient to the point of death on the cross. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, Cursed is everyone 
who is hanged on a tree. And again, Christ is our king. And yet again, he's our servant king. Philippians 2, 6 and 7. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And you may be saying, where are you going with this? This is where I'm going with this. Did Jesus bring us our salvation through only his state of glory? You say, well, what do you mean by that? Ask ourselves the question, how did Jesus come to a state of glory? How is Jesus now reigning at the right hand of God the Father Almighty? How has Jesus conquered all his and our enemies? How has he brought with him in his reign all those defeated foes? How is it that we reign with Christ? Was it not also through his humiliation? If not through his humiliation, if not through his his making himself of nothing, being born of the law, obeying the law, his obedience to the point of death on the cross, his death, his burial, apart from his humiliation, his suffering, the very, the very thing that we glory in would be non-existent. Apart from those things, there would be no salvation. No salvation. For glory comes through the cross, exaltation through humiliation. Both are integral aspects to the person and work of Jesus Christ, his exaltation and his humiliation. And it's interesting, if you were to read through our uh, confession of faith, and you read through the larger catechism of our church, you'll notice that question 43 to 56 speaks of, in, in wonderful ways, uh, both of these aspects. It begins with the offices of prophet, priest, and king, as I've done. It moves to his work and ministry. Um, in his humiliation. And then it moves to his work and ministry in his exaltation. What I'm getting at is that when we look at the office of deacon, we begin to see the importance of the office of deacon when we begin to see the importance of Christ's work through his humiliation. And you may say, well, wait a minute. That doesn't sound like a lot of fun, then. If I'm going to be a deacon of the church, I'm representing the ministry of Christ in a sense in his humiliation of that dying to myself, of setting an example of serving, setting an example of compassion and mercy. That's the role of a deacon? Yes. That's the role of a deacon. It is a role of mercy and compassion. And we might even say, well, who would want to do that? Right? Because that's, that's a hard ministry. And I know a lot of times, even within my own church where I serve, the elders of my church, and, and they do, they work hard. And there are times when they have to go on sabbatical because they have just had it. They've just had it. They've been, they've been uh, put up wet, as it were. And so they go on sabbatical. But I look at our deacons and know that they serve in much the same way. Different role, yes. Different role, yes. But in such the same way that they're being emptied for the cause of Christ in the midst of our church. The role of deacon is an important role within the life of the church. And when we say things like, well, who would want to do that? Are we not thankful that Jesus did it? That Jesus has done it perfectly. And we as followers of Christ, all of us for that matter, we're told, right, to take up our cross and to follow Jesus. And the office of the deacon is to lead 
lead in that by example. And of course, there's a sense in which the elders to do this as well, as every believer is. In fact, the book of the church order states that there, if there are no deacons of the church, those duties are to fall upon the elders of the church. But this is exactly what's going on here in Acts chapter 6. And I want to urge you people. I want to urge you as people that I love because I love Ted and I love you as brothers and sisters in Christ. If there are those among you, those among you who can serve in the office of deacon that are qualified, don't take that office lightly and say, oh, well, our elders will do it. Because this is what was happening here in Acts 6, right? The apostles did not think they could do this effectively and still do what they were called to do. They needed other godly men full of the Spirit, gifted in this area to fulfill the need. The deacon is, is one whose heart is after the heart of Jesus, who shares the compassion and mercy and grace of Christ. It's a man whose heart breaks over the things that break the heart of God. That's a, that's a deacon. And why is this so important? Well, because as with every aspect of the church, and I can say this, I, I think I can say this for Ted. As your pastor, he wants you to see Jesus. That's why this is so important. The elders and deacons of this church ought to reflect the wonder and the beauty of Christ. And so, so real quickly to, 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 to end here. When we do, as we are called as elders and deacons, I want you to notice what happens. In verse 7, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples um, Multiply great in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Isn't that your desire as a church? That the word of God would increase, and a great number of disciples were added to the church. I think that's our desire. That's what we want to see happen here at Redeemer, here in the midst of Silent Springs, to see people coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Word of God would advance in this community and increase. And of course, there's, this, there's a difference between the elders and deacons and the way that they carry out their call and that of Jesus. I think we know that, right? We aren't perfect, we fail. And keep this in mind. This is not the perfect church. I'm sorry, Ted. You don't have a perfect pastor. I love him dearly. But he's not perfect. And neither will your, neither will your elders be perfect. And they will fail. And you will fail. And you will fail one another. It will happen. But Jesus never will. That's the wonder and the glory of Christ. Jesus will never fail you. Perfect in every aspect. Prophet, priest, and king. He has never failed. He doesn't fail today, and he will never fail. He's the one who reveals the word of or the will of God for our salvation. He's the one who intercedes on our behalf. He's the one who faithfully and always faithfully rules and reigns over us. And he accomplishes all that because he's accomplished our salvation. He's accomplished our salvation. He's obeyed the word of God on your behalf perfectly already. He's the very sacrifice for your sin, for your failure, for your disobedience, for mine, to that which has already been revealed. 
And Jesus came, didn't he? He, he came, what did he say himself? I didn't, come to, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve, right? And to give his life as a ransom for many. And he did all this perfectly for you and for me. And on whom God finally placed his stamp of approval by raising him from the dead. We have a perfect elder brother who has gone before us. We have one who rules and reigns perfectly. We have one who serves and has served perfectly. And it is the Lord Jesus. And the elders and the deacons of the church are to represent that in our midst. But are we not thankful that Jesus has already done? Let's pray together, shall we? Father in heaven, we are thankful for your Son, the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus Christ, who has given himself for us. That he has served perfectly, and he serves perfectly. He rules and he reigns perfectly. Oh Lord, we give you great thanks for your Son, Jesus. And Lord, I pray for Redeemer prayers here in Solomon Springs. That you would give them great wisdom. That you would lead them and guide them through this process. That they would see the privilege and the responsibility that you've given to them. And that you would raise up these men whom you have called in the midst of this church to rule and to serve faithfully. Exalting the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who died for us. And we ask all these things in his name. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing, right? Let's stand and sing together. The church is one foundation.